You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show free podcast here today, courtesy of Westwood One. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing as well, whether it's on iTunes or here via Westwood One. We appreciate um, you guys taking time out of your schedule, no matter where you are, when you are, because, of course, we're doing this on demand for you at your convenience. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to devote to hanging out with us for just a little while here on Westwood One. My name is Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with us as well. The Steve Dace Show, powered by CRTV. And we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. At Steve Day Show. Last name is spelled D E A C E. And we just finished our show today for CRTV as we are continuing our series on the seven deadly worldviews. Yesterday we talked about Gnosticism. Today we're talking about legalism. Now, some of you have asked, hey, these seven worldviews, are these are these in any particular order? Yes. They are in the order in which I believe, just as a layman historian, I believe you see a culture devolve and destabilize. So yesterday we talked about Gnosticism, which literally comes from the devil himself. He shows up in the garden and he asks, did God really say? In order to introduce doubt, deception into the human condition. Now we talk about how the human condition has a tendency to respond to doubt and deception. Because we don't have it, sadly, our default setting is not to respond with absolutism, certainty, or truth. But to respond to our opinion, or respond with our opinion, our hot take, our perspective, our feelings which is another way of saying our own doubt and our own deception. We have a tendency to respond to doubt and deception with doubt and deception. And so when the serpent shows up, is that really what God said? Is that really what he meant? Humanity at that moment, represented by Eve, the first daughter of the human race, does not respond with certainty, but responds with her own take on things. And from that moment on, we lose. Because whenever we're arguing, you know, Christ makes a reference in the, in, the, in, the, in the Gospels that if you don't know, the cultural context is tough to understand. He says, can Beelzebub cast out Beelzebub? Well, what's a Beelzebub? It's, well, it, it literally is translated Lord of the Flies. But it's, a, it's another reference, it's, it's another um, Hebrew slang term for the devil. Because his detractors were saying he's performing these miracles by the power of, of the devil. 
well, he's going around casting out devils. And he's like, the devil can't cast himself out. Beelzebub cannot cast out Beelzebub. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Well, I thought Abe Lincoln said that. Yeah, well, he got it from somebody else first, <laughs> okay? Um, we have a tendency to try and cancel out doubt and deception with our own doubt and deception, our own spin. And this is what we call legalism. The idea that the grace of God or the word of God is not sufficient well, see, that sounds like Gnosticism, indeed. They always go together. They're two sides of the same coin. They're the yin and the yang. Except if, if Gnosticism is one that is, it is externally introduced to the human condition from bad influences, shall we say. Legalism is internally introduced to the human condition. It comes from us. And we get into more of these definitions today on our CRTV show. And for those of you that are new to this uh, series, we're starting to start out the new year. Uh, somebody asked me about this yesterday because typically the way it works, just so you know from a production standpoint, this podcast is always going to air, be out there online first before the TV show because it's a lot less data to move across the interwebs. Once we hit publish, just a, an mp3 file than it is a massive video production a full-fledged television show so the the podcast is always going to come before the tv show and it's not every day that the tv show and the podcast accompany each other in fact most days they're wholly separate it just so happens that during this series they are going to go hand in hand and so the tele because somebody asked me yesterday hey i heard the podcast and i love what i loved how, what, how i loved you guys did but i don't I quite know exactly what gnosticism is and i'm like well wait till the television show comes out and you're gonna learn so when in doubt watch the tv show first and then come back and listen to this podcast for the next week and a half because the the podcast or the the television show for crtv is going to lay out the definition of terms what we're going to talk about here on the podcast, then, is the application we see in our culture today. So what does it look like when we fight deception with deception? Let me give you a couple of examples, things that have had a huge impact in my life in recent years. I used to be a devoted listener to Dr. Laura. Is she even still on the air anymore? Is she retired? Do you guys I have no, no I idea. Don't, no, I haven't okay. heard her. I want to say she's retired. Oh, by the way, that's Todd and Aaron. I should have introduced that uh, you guys are here. Hello, everyone. We are disembodied voices. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I used to love her show when it was on. After I got converted to Christianity, I started to struggle with it more and more. And I, I just, you know, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Why? Because she was doing the same show that I used to always enjoy. I wasn't enjoying it as much. And then one day I'm, I'm listening in and I had an epiphany. Something about this particular conversation helped me to finally be able to articulate why I couldn't relate to this show the way I used to be able to. A young woman calls up could have been I mean you know I've talked about this before you'll probably hear me talking about it again my mom was 15 when she had me she got pregnant out of wedlock 
dated a couple of other guys with a kid. Very few guys want to date a chick with a kid. Ends up marrying my stepdad, Dave Dace, where my last name comes from. They they dated for a week. Uh, she was managing a hotel across the street from or, uh, Disneyland in Anaheim, California, with her my grandmother, her mom. And a um, group of uh, Navy sailors from San Diego come up the coast to go to Disneyland on some shore leave. She meets Dave at the hotel. They date for like a week or two. And they get married when I'm three years old. So this this could be my mom, okay? Young woman calls up Dr. Laura. And she's talking like this because her boyfriend's asleep. I don't know if he's in bed or in the next room or whatever. And he says, this guy... She's talking in a very hushed tone like this on the air. And she says, this guy is uh, abusive towards her. You know, my stepdad was abusive towards my mom a lot of times when I was growing up. This guy is abusive towards her. Um, I can't remember if she said it was her second or third baby daddy. And um, she knows it's a toxic relationship. She knows it's not where she should be placing and raising her children, but she feels trapped and she can't get out. Dr. Laura, what do I do? And and Dr. Laura berated this woman. Get up. Pack your stuff and get out. This is toxic. You're risking your life. You're risking your children. Why are you staying there? Get out. Before I got converted, I'd have been cheering her on. Absolutely. Self-reliance. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Have some dignity. That's particularly edifying language to those of us who call ourselves conservatives, is it not? Because doesn't that have some basis as to why we're conservatives? Those sorts of impulses and instincts, right? Indeed. And now I'm struggling with, now that I'm converted to Christianity, I'm struggling with the fact I'm not, that message isn't resonating with me the way that it used to. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, am I like a freaking liberal now? What is wrong with me? And then I realized it was like an epiphany. This is why it doesn't resonate with me. This woman is practicing self-reliance. She is trying to pull herself up by her bootstraps. That's why she waited on hold to call Dr. Laura. She can't do it on her own. If she was capable of making herself whole on her own, would she be in this relationship right now, guys? No. No. If she wasn't broken and damaged, if she was a whole person, would she put up with this kind of behavior? Would she? No. Why did my mom marry a guy that she dated for a week or two and stay with him for years, even though he was abusive to us? Because she's a scared 18-year-old girl when she marries this guy with, with a kid. I'm struggling to raise on my own, and we're poor, and I don't know what to do. I need someone to take care. You see where I'm getting at with this? The missing component of Dr. Laura's message, she had everything right 
except for the most important thing. It's a little bit like your grandmother gave you the greatest chocolate chip cookie recipe. And you try to make them for the first time and everything's in there, but you've got to put in the eggs. You did everything else right, but you left out arguably the most important ingredient. There's grace lacking from Dr. Laura's message. This idea that totally on her own, in her own righteousness, in her own power, in her own steam, she has the means by which to transform her life from all she's ever known. She's already taking the initiative we conservatives call on. She's already taking life by the horns in that she's, she used her free will to peek up from the sludge she has surrounded herself with to say there must be something better than this. I can, I have, there must be another plan for my life other than this. And that is the moment then when we reach our hand out and help the person the rest of the way out of the mess, the swamp that they're in. That's not the moment to stand by when they're peeking out from underneath the sludge and they're, they're holding a hand and they're not sure what else is out there and to stand back and say, get yourself out of there. Lift yourself up. Physician, heal thyself. But if we don't have grace in our message, that's the only message we'll have left. And then you'll find that every once in a while, someone will be able to pull themselves out of that swamp for a while. But then again, what happens without grace is the minute they pull themselves out of that swamp and something goes wrong, what will they return to, gentlemen? That swamp. Because the dog returns to its own vomit. They will go back to that which they know. Because they've had a behavior modification, not a life transformation. Dr. Laura, for years, preached behavior modification. People just thought it was life transformation. That's a legalistic message. Even if it's well-intentioned, but it lacks grace. Grace that only comes from our Creator. And I'm reminded of... Dr. Walter Martin, the original Bible answer man. And he used to publish this book every now and then. I think Ravi Zacharias took it over. It's called The Kingdom of the Cults. And essentially, it's an examination of every worldview in opposition to Judeo-Christianity on the planet. And he examines their historicity, their religious claims, um, their strengths, their weaknesses. It's, it's like a reconnaissance of other belief systems. And um, late in his life, I was listening to him do a presentation. And he was telling a story about how he was doing a conference talking about different, um, what he would call uh, perversions of Christianity. Meaning either... They use a lot of Christian talk, but when you look at what they actually believe, it's not orthodoxy. And if you followed Walter Martin in his heyday, he didn't pull any punches, man. He was subtle as a kick of the shins. 
So he's at this conference doing the same routine he's done for years. He is destroying this particular perversion of Christianity, as he described it. Destroying it. The crowd is eating it up except for one young man. And this is a young man who grew up in one of these perversions of Christianity. Sang the same Christmas songs, thought he was being taught out of the same Bible. He didn't know. No one's ever told him any of this stuff before. He's hearing it all for the first time. That's why I went to the Walter Martin conference. He's thinking, I'm on, I'm on team Bible here. You know what I'm saying? He thinks he's on the right team. And this guy, this young man stands up in the middle of Martin's talk to challenge him to his face. That's a bad life choice right there. That's like saying to Tom Brady when you're the other team's defense in the Super Bowl, we're going to give you the ball back down by a touchdown or less with a couple minutes to go because we don't think you have it in you. <laughs> don't make that move. Make make good choices. <laughs> that would not be one of them. <laughs> All right? Don't stroll into Walter Martin, the old original Bible man's conference, and say and step to him right there. In, in, in all of his glory, that is going to be a beatdown of epic proportions. The devil doesn't show up to those. The devil's like, hey, we'll get Walter Martin out here in the alleyway. We're not going to show up like that. All right. This kid got reamed. He got destroyed. Destroyed. He just wasn't, he, he had outkicked it. He, he, had, he was over his skis here. He was, he was out of his depth, okay? And he walks out of the conference crying, sobbing in front of all these people. Martin finishes his presentation. They take a break. He goes out into the bathroom to freshen up, relieve himself. And is he coming out to wash his hands? That young man is in the bathroom. And their eyes meet. And this young man's got tears going down his cheeks. And he's talking about how he doesn't buy anything he's selling, doesn't believe anything Martin is saying. He's a bully. Um, and Martin tries to engage him in a conversation and realizes that this young man grew up in this error, error, E-R-R-O-R, not era, error. He grew up in this error. No one ever told him before. That's why he came to the conference. He thought he was already on the, on the narrow road here. And it took a very long conversation for Walter Martin to win this man back over to come back to the conference. He had forgotten empathy. And Martin concluded this presentation I was listening to by saying, even at his old age, after having done apologetics and philosophy for decades, he had forgotten that you can win the battle and lose the war. And to quote the great prophet Donkey, after I heard that, I thought, you cut me deep, Shrek, you cut me deep. Because I realized I've only made that mistake like 10,000 times. I've won a lot of battles, man. My battle record's pretty good. My war record, eh, maybe around the Mendoza line, maybe. (laughs) Sometimes I've lost those wars with people with my own DNA, my own last name, people I grew up with, friends of mine, people I have a million other things in common with and used to like hanging around with. You know what I'm trying to say? You're laughing, Todd, because you know what I'm saying right here. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is, the, this is what legalism does to us, though. Arrogance. And not confidence. Confidence is not arrogance. I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm betting my soul Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb. Betting my soul on it. I'm that confident. Betting my soul. Betting my forever on it. 
But the arrogance comes from, well, because I've made that bet, I'm a better person than you. I'm smarter than you. Now, I'm, I'm the same guy that still struggles not to notice every pair of yoga pants when I go to the gym every day. I, I'm the same guy who can still remember all my favorite red light district haunts on the internet. I'm that same guy when I'm that guy. Only when, I re- only when I'm reminded of the confidence I have in the bet I made and who God truly is, am I not that guy anymore. That's why Paul writes in Romans 7, he talks about the evil I want to do or the evil I don't want to do, I do. The good I want to do, I won't. What a wretched person am I. I'm like two individuals here. Yeah. Yes. You're literally at war with yourself because you're introducing new programming into an old matrix. New code into an old hard drive. And it takes a long time, a lifetime, for the new code to finally have its way. And there are going to be plenty of moments when the old code is, yeah, we're still kind of in control here. Thank you. Those thorns in our sides, those reminders that the old code is still there, ought to humble us, guys. It ought to have, we ought to look at people struggling like this young woman calling Dr. Laura, and it ought to give us empathy to say, oh my gosh, I know where you're at. I've been there. Therefore, by the grace of God, go I. That's the only reason I'm not in that swamp. Some days I even look at that swamp and say, maybe I should return. But by the grace of God, I don't. But I need to renew that grace in my life on a regular basis. Otherwise, I'm going to think that swamp looks pretty, pretty inviting right about now. How much of that grace is missing, missing from our message? I strongly am pro-life. I, I, I have, it's my number one issue. It's my litmus test issue. It's my window to the soul. You guys know from my career how many talks around the country, how much consulting, how much, how much work have I done on the life issue compared to every other issue? It's 10 to 1. Particularly for a kid like me born to a 15-year-old mom who decided not to abort him. It's not just theological and philosophical. To me, it's personal. You know, I've had a doctor say to my wife and I, you may have to consider abortion. This is a pregnancy maybe catastrophic. We've been there. But there's the Christian faith is not where do you stand on abortion and gay marriage? Are those things important? Yes. But are they preeminent? No. Because do you know where I stood on abortion before I had the Christian faith active in my life? I didn't care. I kind of thought it was unseemly to kill your own kid because of my own personal experience, but my own personal experience didn't take me to the point of, that's wrong. I just found it unseemly because that could be me. But then I also used to think, you know, if I get a chick pregnant, I don't want to have to raise the kids. It's not my problem. I used to think like Barack Obama. I don't want to be punished for the baby. What made this transcendent to me is that new code came into the hard drive and said, yeah, that's not how the world works. Now, I wish I could tell you that across the board in my life, my old wiring has submitted to the new code. It has not. Oh, no. If you're new to our show, listen tomorrow. If not in five minutes from now, and you will be reminded, the old wiring has not fully submitted to the new code. There is The battle is raging. But, I, but that battle is, the sign of that battle is a good sign. It's where the battle's not taking place. That's when you're in trouble. 
But where the battle is taking place is a good sign. That battle within ourselves as believers should give us humility in how we deal with unbelievers. This is why you see Christ in the gospel show great mercy and patience with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners. And dude is dropping the hammer on religious legalists without even a, without even a hesitation. That's why he walks into the temple when they're turning it into a, a, a flea market. The holy temple. It doesn't say, hey guys, I want you to reconsider it. No. Dude fashions a whip of cords and opens a can. Because those are the people that are supposed to know better. Those are the ones that say, hey, we're, all, we're down with the new code. No, you're not. You guys aren't fighting the battle here. You've given up. You've surrendered. The tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners, by the fact they're inviting me to dinner, means they're interested in the battle. They may not be fighting it themselves, but they're at least slightly intrigued. We can't beat moral subjectivism and moral relativism, follow me now, with moral subjectivism and moral relativism. I'm all for fighting for marriage and life because of because they're God's plan for us as a species. They're how how we best live out our flawed human condition. But that's not the determining factor in who goes to heaven or not, who God loves or not. Any more than I never go to rated R movies. I get that from people all the time. So you never saw Schindler's List? You never saw The Passion of the Christ? That's a stupidly... Steve, I would never say anything that Jesus wouldn't say. Really? You ever told your wife you thought she was hot? You ever told your wife thought she was hot, Todd? Uh, very recently, how, how long have you been married, Todd? I've been married 15 years. You ever said anything to your wife in the bedroom or any other moment where you guys have been intimate anyplace else over those 15 years that you think Jesus probably wouldn't say to your wife? Yeah. Think she's probably ever saying those things to you? It's a stupid standard, guys. It's a dumb standard. You're not Jesus. You're not God. You're Todd. And I'm Steve. And you're you. Those are dumb standards. Dumb standards. That's legalism. Now, here's what legalism is. You know, it's not, it, it, it's, it, it's not trying to live up to God's standard. It's trying to live up to your own and saying that it's God's standard. There's a difference there. We do that a lot. Particularly those of us that are politically engaged with our faith. This is a huge temptation for us. We practice our own philosophical reductionism, meaning we reduce the Christian life to nothing other than where do you stand on these three or four political issues? Now, I happen to think limited government accords with a biblical worldview based on my own exegetical study of the scriptures. But the Bible is not an exegetical study of, of, of political outcomes either. Jesus didn't say by their fully perfect systematic theology, you will know them. He said by their fruit, you will know them. I quote Augustine, Calvin, people like that, Luther a lot. Luther was an anti-Semite. Calvin had people beaten if they disagreed. And Augustine once belonged to a sex cult who then became Victorian prudes called and said, dude, seriously, live a little, please, okay? So I don't go to the church of John Calvin. That's why I don't have Calvin as my avatar on Facebook. 
I don't go to the church of Martin Luther, and I don't go to the church of St. Augustine. And I love these three men. They've been hugely influential on my life. But sometimes, but you know what? That's where you chew the meat, spit out the bones. You guys will have to do that with our show, and we're going to give you a lot of bones you got to spit out because we're human beings. So many of you in the last year have sent us notes talking about how our show has caused you to reconnect with your faith or rediscover it or, or even consider having one in the first place. We are greatly honored, not because of some accomplishment we have reached, but because we are honored and humbled that God would use three people as flawed as the three of us are to be those kinds of vehicles. Because to him be the glory, not to any of us. Of course, on the topic of legalism, we've also received other things, um, maybe more than any other, regarding oh a certain gosh. drinking conversation. Well, I, I'm not even a drinker, by the way. Okay, I, I think all of us agree, drunkenness is a, is clearly mm-hmm. a sin. Doing that which ca- alters your state of mind, that that gets you outside of being sober-minded and morally prudent. Purposefully, yes. I mean, obviously, if you're racked with fever, you're you're not sober minded, right? If you've got, you know, malaria, you're 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 not thinking straight. But that which you intentionally do to unrestrain yourself from sober thinking, we all would agree. The Bible clearly says, "Don't do that." Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things we discussed last year on this show, and and we discuss a lot of incendiary things. Because we're all, the three of us are pretty incendiary dudes. <laughs> we like the incendiary. We're attracted to it. Light them up. <laughs> all right? I'm not sure we did or said anything last year that got some people angrier than when we discussed alcohol. Now, I will have a glass of wine once or twice a year. I've not had a beer in like 20 years. I can't stand the taste of it. After I turned 21, I realized, you know, I was a pagan then. I was like, I'm only drinking because the law says not to. I really can't stand Bush Light. I've not had another one. <laughs> the only beer I liked was the Fru-Fru when they had the Coronas where they put the, or the, the Zemos where they put the lime in it. And all my friends mock me for drinking chick drinks. I've not had one ever since. All right. You're like a precursor to a snotty millennial back then. I only drink <laughs> bourbon. Yes. If I had been born 10 or 15 years later, Matt Walsh and I would be going back and forth every day about which bourbon is the best. Right. And I'd have a beard and hipster glasses. Yes, I was a man before my. I was even I was as smug about music as Jack Black in, in High Fidelity. Like when, when I got married and Amy brought her hair metal band CD collection into the house. I'm like, uh, no, I forbid it. I wouldn't let it touch my stuff. I had had to get her own CD rack and put her own music. No. No, we're not putting poison next to Pearl Jam alphabetically. No, 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 and no. True stories of love and romance yes, by Steve Dace. Indeed. Okay. But dude, folks lost their some some of you lost your poop over this. I kind of did too, honestly. So, yeah, yeah. Yes, you kind of had almost your own reverse. I, yeah. I will be. I will so reject idolatry. I will become a reverse idolater. Yes. My my I, Todd's idol is crushing your idolatry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had a friend of mine in the first church we belonged to who was hugely instrumental in helping disciple me as a young believer, who's now a heretic. And one of the things I loved about him is is how much he rejected this kind of legalism because he grew up in a very legalistic background and then he rejected it. And then I realized after I started to mature in my own faith, this guy's his own legalist. He's gone from, hey, um, you don't have to put on a suit and tie to come to church. 
to if he, we, he was now mocking people who would put on a suit mm-hmm. and tie to right. church. Oh. Yep, those people are a dime a dozen. Um, every survey, every major survey I have read, and I've not read them all, but so that's my qualifier that I have read. Every major survey I have read in the last five to ten years since I've been really serious about my faith about what causes church splits. Do you know what the top two causes are in every survey I've read? I wish I could tell you um, it's doctrinal disputes or people, someone was abused in the church and the church didn't do what was right and the people said, we're not going to a church where they don't stand up. You know, I would, no. Music, what music we're going to play and how we're going to dress. Every survey I've read, those are the top two reasons for church splits. What music are we going to play and how are we going to dress? Your preferences, our preferences are not to be conflated with his principles. We often do that. Our opinions, our hot takes are not to be conflated with his truths and his traditions. We often do that. That doesn't mean, hey, if, if you feel for your, for your walk, that's the beauty of the Christian faith is the individual yet corporate aspect of it at the same time. You're part of a universal body of believers. But at the same time, God has an individual relationship with you. If you get up and think to yourself, you know what? I feel as if I'm cheating this relationship if I don't dress for success. And that's how I want to show reverence. By golly, do that. That's your Do it. Yes. That's your own. Do that. On the other hand, if you're like, why am I all worked up about what to wear about a God that when he showed up in human form wore a glorified bathrobe for three and a half years everywhere he went? Then do that. But that's your relationship with him. My wife has an individual relationship with me and I with her. And there are things that we do for one another in order to please and love the other person. That we don't do, and I'm not even talking about sexuality. I'm just talking about the kind of relationship a husband and wife have beyond the bedroom. There's ways we relate and serve one another that we don't relate and serve our children. Doesn't mean we love them less. They're just, it's a different relationship. And because you guys aren't just my friends, but you work for me, I love and serve you in ways I don't love and serve a couple of, some of my other guy friends who don't work for me. And then there's things I don't do for you guys because you do work for me that I might do for other guys that don't. Because the appropriateness of the relationship doesn't call for that. You see where I'm going with this? But if I were to impose my preferences and interpretations as a universal standard on those things, that's what we often do wrong here. And when the rest of the culture sees us doing that, you know what they think? Man, I'm getting that at my house. I'm getting that at her house, his house. I'm getting that at work. Why do I want to go to God's house and get it there? Answer, I don't. So guess what I'm not going to do? Go. You know what we should ultimately be modeling to people? Freedom. For whom the Son is set free is free indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Freedom. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to set free the captives, those who are enslaved. We should be modeling freedom. Well, but Steve, what about obedience? 
That's where our freedom comes from. We now have the strength. Let's bring this full circle now. We now, that young woman that Dr. Laura was talking to, because of the freedom granted to her by her creator, she does now have the freedom to walk out of that swamp and not look back. Doesn't mean she won't, there weren't aspects of that swamp that she won't miss, that she didn't like. Doesn't mean there won't be times she might even take a step back two or three towards that swamp. But you know why she won't dive in head first? Because she's been given freedom, so she'll count the cost and realize, yeah, there's parts about this I liked, which is why I hung around for so long. And maybe for a while, I'll even try to have the parts of it I like without diving head in, but then eventually you'll have the conflict and you'll realize, you know what? I think I like real freedom better than your fake news freedom that's really bondage. That's the battle right there. That's the battle. And then, you, then you'll win the battle on this front, and then you'll have a whole new front. Because we have no idea how much we're enslaved to, how much we're enslaved by. When you've had a Band-Aid on a sore for a long time and someone comes along and just rips it off, does it hurt? Yeah. Like a, the Dickens it does. It makes you scream words that you're not proud of. <laughs> all right? Imagine all of the swamp of this world. Everything bad we've ever done and everything bad that's ever been done to us. Imagine that was a sore. Every one of those were, were, were marked by scars or sores on our bodies with Band-Aids on them. And how much would it hurt to have all those Band-Aids ripped off at once? It'd be excruciating, wouldn't it? Unbearable. The pain of that experience would be so overwhelming, you know what you'd never do? I don't want to rip them off. It's, it's less pain living with these scars than it is getting rid of them. That's why the good physician, knowing that, comes along and deals with them little by little, one by one, piece by piece. Not all at once. We couldn't handle that. It would break us more than we're already broken. We would say to ourselves, our brokenness is preferable to the pain of dealing with this. How, come, how did I lose 100 pounds the last few years? Because I finally came to the point that the pain I was willing to go through to lose the weight was worse, was better, was not as bad as what pain I was going through having it. Same thing happens in every other transformation in life, including spiritual. But how often, guys, do we model this kind of freedom to the world? How often? I don't think it's often enough. And I think that's why Aaron, the enemy, has come in and offered a fake, did God really say freedom? Because our idea of freedom is, well, where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on gay marriage? I, I get this from other believers. I get asked all the time, are, you know, are, what, uh, are you a Calvinist? Do you, uh, you know, are you a, uh, are you a premillennialist? I never answer those questions. I always ask people back, tell me what issue you want to know my opinion on, and I will give it. But I'm not going to play into your labels. Because labels means, are you in my tribe or not? I don't care. I'm, and the answer is, if, just so you know, if you ever, ever ask me, I mean, no. doesn't matter what the tribe is. My answer is always no. I'm allergic to tribes. I can't stand them. So the answer is no. There's nothing freeing about tribalism. It's another form of slavery. I don't know that we model that freedom enough. I think we're modeling bondage to the world that's already in bondage, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, and what freedom 
Steve is talking about, and he alluded to it just a couple seconds ago, we think of freedom as being able to make choices that we want to based on our own desires. Uh, he's not describing, and we're not describing autonomy, where we get to do whatever we want. Exactly. What we're describing is freedom from our natural state as human beings. The original sin of Adam, uh, when he didn't, when he failed to do his job, when he failed uh, to protect, to be the protector uh, in, in the garden, and ultimately made the decision along with Eve. That, yes, I am going to disobey God. I'm going to fall for the lie, ye be like God, and do this. That's what affects every single human being ever born since, except for one, although he was a man like us. That is our nature as human beings. And the freedom that we have through Christ's work uh, on death, death and resurrection on the cross, the freedom that we have is freedom from that bondage, that original Sin. That is the freedom that we are talking about, because left to our natural devices, our lives are always going to be incomplete. We are always, and you know, I, I played that clip of Bill Gothard um, I, during, during the montage on the TV show today, where in one clip he says, um, and he, he, I didn't even play the whole thing, just to want to make it as, as quick hitting as possible, but he talks about how grace is a free gift of God. Then he talks about how grace can be resisted. And if you don't live to these, up to these uh, seven principles that he lays out, then your life is going, then you're resisting God's grace and you don't get God's grace then. And he says, your life will be one continuous failure. He's actually right, but not for the reasons that he thinks he is. If you live up to any standard other than, if you try to live your life up to any standard for the purposes of being right with God, your life will be one continuous failure. Because anything, any effort that you make to be right with God and try to earn his favor and his grace, apart from putting your complete trust in the work that he did on the cross, your life will be one continuous failure failure. Those failures may look different for different people, and I think that's true. But at the end of the day, the freedom that we're talking about is freedom from that bondage of our sin nature. Todd, you get the last word. That is well said, Aaron. Remember, morality is ultimately mercy. And if your design is not to have it look like that at the end. If it doesn't, in fact, look like at the end, regardless of what your design started with, uh, you need to start again. It, it, yes, there, there may be some sort of philosophical sc scoreboard involved, but at the end, what this needs to look like is the 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 teams with two opposing uh, uniforms on after the game, a hard fought game, maybe even the Super Bowl. They form that prayer circle. And they're brothers, and they were realizing how blessed they were to come and reason together. And, I mean, I'm more and more struck every time I engage on, on Twitter, but it's just that scoreboard. Where on earth is the mercy? Where is the desire to heal your fellow man? And the fact of our sinfulness is made alive all the more by the fact when we do do it right, it is so obviously the right thing. Steve and Aaron, there was an example, I believe, maybe at the very beginning of this football season, 
I don't think it's already two football seasons ago, but there was a college football player who visited some school and one of those college, or maybe several football players, but one of those college football players saw a kid who had, I believe it was Down syndrome, something like that, but he was sitting mm-hmm. all by himself. It was a Florida State, I Florida think it State, happened. Florida yeah. all by himself. Now, now this isn't a particular matter of that kid's sin. He's just... Uh, he, it's the matter of the sin of the other people who won't step out and make that kid feel like he belongs. And this football player just sat down and he wasn't he wasn't filming himself doing it, but somebody there uh, put it uh, on their phone and it went viral. And the, the, when it was shown to the the player and the mom's response, it, it, he broke down in tears. Um, but that that's what it is supposed to to look like that the human on the other side is the, it is the goal to 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 treat them like you would want to be treated and so yes there are principles of righteousness that we must fight for we are commanded to fight for but they are because they are acts of mercy scriptures say that mercy triumphs over judgment now here's what that does not mean it doesn't mean there is no judgment it doesn't, doesn't say it cancels the judgment. There's a heaven and there's a hell. There's a right and there's a wrong. So it doesn't cancel the judgment, but it triumphs over the judgment if you obtain mercy from really the only one who is capable of granting it, and that is your creator. And those of us who have accepted that mercy, you know, one of the key things that encourages others to accept it too is for us to offer it to them as well. Now, that's not always easy to do. We're going to end this free podcast with a testimonial. Um, someone in our audience who has made this transition, who even in the ministry struggled with these legalistic notions while preaching grace and freedom, realizing I don't have enough of this in my own life, and then made that transition to be free of this legalism as well. And Aaron, it's somebody that you know well. That's right, Steve. His name is uh, John Yonke, and he is a pastor here in uh, Iowa. And it's been my privilege uh, to get to know him over the last uh, six plus months or so, and more on that uh, in a little bit. But uh, John, uh, welcome to the Steve Days show. And um, as I said before, uh, it's It's been great to get to know you, and part of getting to know you is hearing a little bit about your background, and I thought last night as I was uh, preparing more for today's show, it would be great to have a uh, an interview, a testimonial, if you will, of someone who has come out of a legalistic worldview, if you will, to finding truth without swinging all the way to the other side of the pendulum as we see so many times people coming out of legalism swing all the way over to the other side of the pendulum of the theological pendulum where anything goes and uh, they take uh, Christian liberty out of out of context and take it to mean whatever they want but uh, John um, I want to talk about your story as it pertains to now but take us back to growing up And before we even talk about that, define for us, you're a pastor, define for us what you think of when you think of legalism. Well, uh, thanks for having me on the show. I I would define legalism as 
the belief that through what I do, I earn merit or favor with an individual. So in the context of um, religion, I would be trying to earn favor or merit with God through the works that I do, whether that's for uh, salvation, uh, as we call it, or um, or the attempt to please Him so that He likes me and gives me ultimately what I want. That would be how I would see it. So tell us a little bit about maybe some of the ways that you were raised. Tell us, talk a little bit about maybe Christian circles and what church was like for you growing up as well. Okay. Well, I'm a Baptist pastor now, and that's all I've ever known. I uh, was born into a Baptist family, was raised in Baptist churches, went to Baptist uh, uh, high school, elementary school, and uh, ultimately went to uh, graduate from a Baptist Bible college. Um, the circles that I was in, someone, a friend, has referred to as a subculture of a subculture of a subculture, and uh, that would be extreme, um, I, I hesitate to use the word conservative because of the way it's understood today, but extremely conservative Christianity, where mm-hmm. there were a lot of rules and um, standards that you had to keep in relation to um, maintaining status within the Church. And most of those rules and standards really didn't have any biblical basis other than to come up with a verse that they could tie to it to um, put you under the thumb, so to speak. Right. So tell us a, a few examples of something you grew up believing, uh, but now you would call legalistic in in the way you understand that term that you just defined for us now. Well, I, uh, I have a hard time saying some of it I grew up believing. I grew up obeying it, mm-hmm. um, for, for, or, or being a part of it. But, uh, you know, there were rules of women couldn't wear pants, men couldn't have hair that touched their ears or their collar. Um, you were expected to be at every service that the Church had. And if you didn't, not only did, were you on the outs with the human authorities, but you were told that God was not happy with you and was against you. And I, I came to uh, a friend to find it uh, as a big-thumb God. That was the God I began to see that and I was terrorized by him, and uh, at any moment he could, because of his anger at me, um, uh, come after me because I, I wasn't wearing the right clothes or using the right Bible translation or whatever. So you mentioned you, you grew up around this, you went to a Baptist college, uh, you were uh, a professor at, at a college, at a Christian uh, college as well, you're a pastor now. What changed from you, for you from then to wh- where you are right now? I've always been somewhat of a contrarian, and so I have always been a person who had to know why we do things. Uh, I remember uh, questioning things even in in high school in a Bible class where they were talking about hair length and how men shouldn't have uh, long hair because of what the Bible said, but they also said that uh, we shouldn't have long hair because the world had long hair. And so I raised my hand and I asked the teacher, uh, what what happens with our hair if the world decides to cut their hair short? And because we don't want to look like the world, that got me in the principal's office. So I've always <laughs> I've always been kind of of that street. But um, uh, there was there was a point in time where I really just was struggling, probably a bit out of rebellion with all the rules. And after my wife and I got married and 
Um, and I went off to uh, Bible college for a second stint at, at college. There were a lot of things that, as I studied the Bible for myself, I began to see that that the the God that I had been exposed to and his expectations um, were not found in Scripture. And I also came to realize that my standing with him was never intended to be based either again for salvation or for acceptance with him after salvation uh, on, on what I do, uh, how I perform. And um, being a perfectionist, performance was important to me, and uh, it was devastating to me if I was not performing to the level that was expected by my human uh, authorities or by God. And so there was this process where um, I was beginning to think through a lot of things. I wouldn't say that uh, it was a rebellion thing, and I wouldn't say at that point, because I was a more mature adult, that it was a uh, just being a contrarian. It was just coming to think through things for myself and trying to see a biblical basis instead of just what people said the Bible said. That makes sense. Yeah, that uh, that honestly uh, that honestly does make sense. And, and your story fascinates me because I know you. Um, though uh, you know, just it's been for about a half a, a year now, and I have seen people. Uh, other people, I shared the story earlier on on the TV show today. Um, I, I I always thought of myself as being really really macho for this moment that I had, where um, it was a class mo- uh, there was a classmate of mine in college, my freshman year. He was a senior. He was a clean cut, good kid. He was kind of the example that some of the professors and the media department held up as you want to be like this guy and he had a blog and i followed his blog and over the years uh, just in the few years after he left my college he became progressively and progressively more off the theological deep end and i saw him a few years later he had no idea who i was i, I saw him in, in a crowded room uh, there was at a film festival a few years later after i had read some of the things that he had been writing and i had absolutely no empathy in my heart and i don't I don't regret necessarily, I don't know if that's the right word, um, saying what I said to him, but I basically told him where he could stick his heresies. And I was doing some research last night on, um, on, on, a, on a guy named Bill Gothard. And he uh-huh. is a, uh, I, I would say, a fairly well-known in evangelical circles. Uh, he, he's, he's a legalist. I, I'm, I don't know any other way to put it. And I was watching a documentary on Bill Gothard, and one of the first people, one of the first character witnesses, if you will, that they interviewed about Bill Gothard, it was the, the name of this documentary was called The Cult Next Door, was this guy that I had confronted. And I bring that up to, to illustrate how it's so easy to go, and I, this is, you know, this kid's story is, I don't think, no, any different than a lot of people's story, where they go from a very, very legalistic background. He had been inundated in Bill Gothard's teacher, uh, teachings all the way back over to the other side, where he is now off the theological deep end, where any, anything goes. And John, your story fascinates me, and it's, I, I would like to ask you why you didn't go all the way over to the, 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 you know, the deep end theologically, but we, I think we can chalk that up to, to the grace of, of God as well, which is why I wanted to bring you on. Now, in the interest of full disclosure as, as well, um, John, you have 
five kids, um, five beautiful kids, and I, there's there's one of your children um, who sure. I, I think is is probably the most beautiful, and her name is Alyssa. Also, I'm dating her right now. And lest any of our our audience think that I'm uh, I'm just trying to do this to get into the gr- good graces of uh, my potential father-in-law. Um, I, I'm, I'm not doing it because of that. But if it helps, you know, d- along the line, yeah. Um, yeah, you yeah. Know, sucking up to maybe maybe one day ask uh, ask for her hand in marriage, then I'll then I'll, I'll do that. But, John, right now, um, you have just come out of just a, a, in the last few weeks, uh, a major surgery at the at the Mayo Clinic. And if you follow the Steve Day show on Facebook, You'll see that I posted something there a few weeks ago um, about your story right now, and um, I, I was blown away with uh, some of the response from our audience, which is why I wanted to bring you on. Part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on again, um, there is a GoFundMe page, and I'll, I'll let you t- tell your story, but there is a, a GoFundMe page right now. Uh, it's called uh, Give Back to John, the number two John, give back to John, GoFundMe.com slash give back to John, where you can go read about your story right now. Um, I, I, again, have known John for the last, oh, six plus months or so, and I can testify to how good of a man he is and how giving of a man he is. And I would encourage all of our audience to... um, to go back and and look at your story the way it has unfolded, uh, especially in the last few months. But uh, John, how are you recovering from your surgery? This was a really, really. Uh, I mean, I I don't know how to explain, but it was a pretty invasive surgery to try to fix some of these uh, chronic back problems that you've been dealing with. And how is the recovery going? Um, I'm coming along really well. I'm ahead of schedule as far as what they have for expectations for me. Um, they're, they're, the pain subsides uh, pretty much on a regular basis. Some days are worse than others, but um, uh, I would say the pain itself is about half of what it was, and everything seems to be healing up well, and the doctor's happy. So they're very thankful for that. Very good. And uh, it's it's been a blessing to, again, get to know you over the last, uh, over the last few months. And uh, I really hope that our audience will go check out the rest of your story. Of course, we've talked about a lot about your past. I would really encourage our audience to go view, as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story. That's uh, GoFundMe.com slash give back the number two john j-o-h-n give back to john i'll have the link in the uh, podcast description as well but uh, john yonke thank you so much for uh, coming on the steve dace show podcast and uh, sharing a little bit about your story thank you thank you man That'll do it here for today's free podcast. Don't forget to check us out at CRTV.com. Promo code DACE. If you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV, use my last name, get a discounted subscription, and you won't just get our program, but all of the other various programs here as well uh, via CRTV. The great one, Mark Levin. Um, Michelle Malkin, the entire team available right here at CRTV, John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.